Welcome to the PIP Podcast. Today I'm talking with Nick Rose, the Executive Director of Sustain, the Australian Food Network. We're going to be talking about food security and what we can do to help increase food security across the country. I am talking to you today from Aranda country in Mabantwa, Alice Springs. And Nick, where are you talking to us from today? Uh, we're on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong and Woiwurrung of the Kulu Nation here in uh, Nam, uh, which is Melbourne. So thanks, Nick, for taking some time out to chat with me today. So the reason I wanted to talk to you was I feel like we're at this really interesting point in time where, for me at least, and I think for most people, it's the first time that we've really seen the limitations of our current food system uh, actually um, we can see that it doesn't work at times and that it's breaking. And um, for me, it was the first time was during the fires, the bushfires a couple of years ago when all the roads in and out of our area were blocked because of fire. And um, fortunately they weren't blocked for very long, but there was the, you could see that without those trucks coming in and out delivering food we weren't going to have much food on our shelves for very long and then again it was repeated with the pandemic nationally and um, recently with floods Uh, I'm currently in Alice Springs and yeah the the roads and the train line were blocked and yeah there was no food getting in and shelves were empty so things need to be different we need to change our systems and it's not a it's not a simple change. It's not a low-key thing that one person can do. It's a huge job, isn't it? Like it's, and it's, it's got to come from grassroots, but it also needs to come from support from above and systemic change. So I just thought maybe to begin with you could tell us about what Sustain is because Sustain has been doing a lot of work for a long time on this and, yeah, what Sustain is and where Sustain's at at the moment as far as all of this is happening, is occurring. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, thanks, Robin. And, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to have a chat this morning and, and discuss these really important issues with uh, with the uh, readers and supporters of, of PIP magazine. And, you know, congratulations on all the work that you've been doing for a long time in, in this space um, in raising awareness and sharing stories of people doing amazing things right around the country to take more responsibility and control back over uh, our food, which is really what we're about as an organisation mm. as well. Um, uh, we were established in 2016 as a national sustainable and healthy food systems organisation and network. Um, our mission is to support the design and building of better, healthier more sustainable, fairer and more resilient food systems that benefit all Australians and the life systems on which we depend. So we put that into practice with two main areas of focus. One is working on urban agriculture and and urban food systems. And I guess that that sort of reflects my personal interest and passion and and trajectory over quite a long period of time, uh, particularly uh, when I had the, you know, the great sort of honour and uh, opportunity to be a Churchill Fellow and travel to 
to the uh, Midwest of the United States, to Detroit and Chicago and Milwaukee, and also to Toronto in Canada, and then down to Argentina for a couple of months in 2014. And the point of doing that was to meet people and visit organisations that were working in really difficult circumstances to make productive, abandoned and vacant and degraded urban plots and urban uh, sites in those cities and towns uh, with two real objectives. One was to strengthen food security for disadvantaged urban populations. And mm. the second was to create livelihood opportunities uh, in places where there weren't a lot of businesses or a lot of jobs and really uh, building uh, organisations and, um, and, and employment opportunities through those urban farms. Um, and there's some really important lessons there if we think about you know, what we're going through right now, the challenges that we're facing and what might be coming towards us. Those places that I visited, particularly somewhere like Detroit, in some ways they've already been through it. They've already had a collapse of their entire uh, economy and in some ways mm. society um, gone from a population of 2 million people in the 1950s in a really strong manufacturing industry with automobiles uh, to having that all more or less disappear and the city crumble, literally crumble uh, around them. Uh, you know, more than two thirds of the population uh, the white population leave and go out to you know other uh, areas and the African-Americans being left uh, almost abandoned and really having to uh, you know rebuild lives and livelihoods for themselves mm. and the way they did it was through you know through urban farming and then you know being helped by people young people particularly coming from other parts of the United States and um, you know buying up that land, which became very cheap, um, and starting, you know, uh, uh, permaculture um, gardens and market gardens and, and urban farms, uh, and really, you know, rebuilding the city uh, through urban agriculture. So that was a real, um, yeah, sort of revelation and you know, ongoing inspiration for me. And mm. I, you know, obviously in you know where I live in in Melbourne. Um, you know, we're, we're nowhere near, uh, at least at this point, that kind of situation, but there's still, you know, lots of really um, parts of the city that, uh, you know, where, where there's really entrenched uh, disadvantage and poverty and, and food insecurity and lots of vacant land as well. There's lots of, you know, sites around this city and it's no different, I'm sure, in, you know, Sydney and Brisbane and other towns and cities around Australia where there's, you know, empty sites that just sit there sometimes for years, just growing weeds in concrete behind mm. cyclone fencing. Mm. And my, you know, point, and it's simple to say, but harder to do is, well, why can't we make those spaces productive? Why can't we <clears throat> find, you know, strategies and, and ways of funding, you know, people who don't have work and, and who are struggling to eat healthy food to access that land to create, you know, infrastructure and including mobile infrastructure, you know, above ground, urban farms, working beds and so on, um, you know, to, to create, uh, you know, pop-up market gardens, permaculture um, sites right around uh, our cities. And, you know, our, my dream and vision, and it sustains as well as to make our towns and cities edible. And that's, you know, that's our mm. focus with um, the program of urban agriculture. So, so we've done that um, 
Consistently over a number of years, we've had three national events, National Urban Agriculture Forums, where we've brought together, you know, well over 100, you know, practitioners and researchers um, from Australia and internationally in these national events in 2016, 2018 and 2021. Last year, we had a first ever National Urban Agriculture Month, which we're wanting to do again this year in October, November to raise the visibility of, uh, you know, people around the country who are, you know, doing this work. Uh, and to make the case for them to be supported and enabled and, you know, obstacles to the uh, bringing into production uh, more of these spaces around Australia to be, you know, addressed and overcome. And I guess that leads to the second part of our focus, which is uh, working um, with, with local government primarily, uh, being the tier of government that's closest to communities and people and, you know, where, you know, a lot of people do know who their councillors are and can, you know, some of them, uh, you know, a number of them are, are pretty motivated and, and committed people mm. and doing what they're doing for the right reasons and really want to make a difference for their communities. Um, so we are working with uh, local government, uh, particularly in Victoria, but also in other states to help them understand their role in supporting this necessary and urgent transition to more sustainable and resilient and fair food systems, particularly around uh, unlocking uh, land and uh, supporting more community gardens, supporting more urban agriculture. So that's been, a, a again, a strong, consistent focus of our work um, going back to, to 20, even before Sustain was Sustain, when it was the Food Alliance at Deakin Uni, 2013-14, I facilitated a local government urban agriculture um, <clears throat> forum with uh, staff from about 15 Melbourne councils um, who are already working on this area. And I've taken that forward into Sustain with uh, with our relaunched local government food systems networking forum that we kicked off at the beginning of last year. We've had five meetings so far. Thirteen councils have joined as members of Sustain, um, and we're helping staff working in different departments in councils uh, to understand their role in in food systems uh, yeah. and to take that forward in uh, putting in place long-term policies, having councils um, allocate their own resources to support staff roles on urban agriculture and food systems and really drive forward an agenda of change at that level. And that's been supported with a, a great research project that I've been involved in with um, Dr. Belinda Reeve at Sydney University Law School and Professor Karen Charlton at Wollongong Uni uh, Faculty of Health. Australian Research Council funded project called Strengthening Food Systems Governance at the Local Level, where over the last couple of years, we've mapped what every council in New South Wales and Victoria are doing on food systems, all 207 councils, mm. as well as um, highlighted, you know, the leaders in this space, uh, such as Bendigo, Cardinia, City of Melbourne, uh, Gwydia, Shire Council in New South Wales, where they've had a, a fantastic program called The Living Classroom. Um, and uh, we'll just be publishing a report actually in the next uh, month or so uh, showcasing that work and, and really trying to inspire and motivate uh, other councils to, you know, really uh, get involved and, and uh, get active in this area. And just to finish that off, um, uh, we are very much aware that local government in Australia, uh, while it's close to communities and, and can be more responsive to communities, also has limitations in that mm. it can't make legislation, it can't change laws. And it doesn't have a big um, tax uh, basis. It's um, you know got rates, but it can't you know raise taxes through other 
means. So in terms of you know funding this, and you mentioned our call for a $500 billion edible gardening fund, um, we're not saying that should be resourced by local government. That's where state government and federal government you know, needs to get involved as well as, you know, um, you know, other uh, sectors of Australian society, particularly the development industry. Um, but we've had some really good discussions with uh, with Agriculture Victoria recently in Mel- in Victoria, and they commissioned us to do a first ever uh, mapping and needs analysis of the urban agriculture sector in Victoria. We did a, mm. a statewide survey uh, that ran from December 2021 through January 2022. Uh, we've recently just delivered our report uh, with recommendations to Agriculture Victoria, and we'll be publishing that report on, uh, you know, a, a, a really a, a, a transformational agenda to really ramp up uh, market gardening, you know, permaculture, edible gardening across Victoria uh, later this year in advance of the Victorian state election, which is happening in November. Mm. So you're saying some of some there are some councils that are doing great things. What could you give an example of how it, how it looks like a council that area that's doing it well, and what are some of the projects that they've got running? Sure. Um, so uh, the one I probably know best because I've been working with them for for five years is Cardinia Shire Council, which is in the outer. Uh, southeast, um, the uh, um, you know the the leading edge of the urban expansion of Melbourne. So Pakenham, being the the main suburb, yeah. is about 60, 60 kilometres from Melbourne CBD. So that's how far you know Melbourne has uh, sprawled uh, mm. outwards. Um, so yeah, Cardinia is sort of like one of these what they call here growth area suburbs. You know, it's where housing is affordable. Um, you know where. Uh, you know, families are, are moving out to because they can uh, afford property. Um, so it's 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 looking to double its population from about 100,000 today to nearly 200,000 in about 10, 15 years' time. Mm. Um, but it's also a very productive market garden area. Some of our best soils uh, are out there, Kui, Rupp, Swamp, um, you know, really deep, rich um, soils, very productive mm. Um uh, you know, horticulture, um, Cafresco Organics, for example, is, you know, a really outstanding example of, um, uh, you know, diverse uh, horticulture, you know, grown with sustainable methods. So there's, um, uh, so there's, you know, it's a, it's a really, you know, a strong agricultural tradition, uh, but it's got this pressure on, on farmland. Uh, it's also suffering from really poor urban planning and design in terms of the retail food environment, which is uh, common across Australia where, you know, we we feed people through shopping centres, um, mm. you know, the big, the big supermarkets, and they bring with them all the fast food outlets. Um, so there's this phenomenon that some people call a food swamp that happens out there. And what I mean mm. by that is, um, you know, suburbs, which are saturated, so hence the term swamp, they're, they're literally saturated by an over-concentration of unhealthy food outlets. Um, and the way we understand that is looking at the ratio of those unhealthy food outlets to healthy food outlets. And in um, in, in Cardinia and Pakenham, when we started working with, with the Cardinia Shire Council, it was six to one, six unhealthy food outlets to one healthy food outlet. That was 2014-15. That's now up to nine to one. So yeah. it's getting worse, not better. And 
this industry is predatory in that they literally uh, market and target um, educational settings. You know, they locate close to kindergartens, to primary schools, to high schools, and offer lunch mm. deals. You know, five dollar um, you know burger and chips and coke uh, deals for mm. you know for our students. And, you know, no surprise that uh, the kids are, you know, um, getting more and more unhealthy, you know, um, uh, weight levels, obesity, you know, uh, dietary related disease, all these um, indicators of population health are all going in the wrong direction. It's really impacting Mm. our youth. So these are, you know, these are some of the challenges that the council up there are facing. So we've been working with them for, um, you know, five years now on a a long-term systems change project. Um, and I really have to pay tribute to the uh, former CEO, Gary McQuillan of Cardinia, um, uh, who you know began the relationship with us in 2016 and committed his council to a half a million dollar uh, initial investment um, and a long-term commitment to develop a, a food system strategy um, over 10 years plus uh, to really you know get to grips with these issues to understand them systemically that like there's no quick easy fix here they have mm. to be in it for the long haul they have to allocate resources and prioritize this and that was you know the first and most important thing they did um, then they worked with us to develop in a really inclusive and participatory way the actual food strategy so rather than just being a top-down a document that council staff and managers, you know, wrote themselves. They worked with us to over several months to uh, hold kitchen table talks and you know community forums and engage with people and really listen to the community mm. and hear people's you know concerns and priorities about the food system out there. And uh, then we you know turned that into the Cardinia Community Food Strategy um, 2018 to 2026, an eight year document one of the first strategies of its kind in Australia. Um, and that's, uh, uh, you know, backed by um, an action plan. Um, at the same time, they created a staff role, a community um, uh, food uh, systems facilitator and urban agriculture facilitator. So that's a, a dedicated role now in local government uh, that Cardinia Shire have created. Um, so those are those are three things that they did straight away, and then working with us and other um, other partners, they've uh, supported uh, community initiatives. They've held community food forums. Um, they've so uh, they, they've worked with groups of producers in bushfire recovery. So there's a whole a whole range of things that um, you know that, that are happening out there that that really you know give. Uh, you know, farmers, uh, community uh, gardeners, um, you know, local food enterprise people and others, opportunities to get involved and be part of like a bigger effort at a whole Mm. of systems change process. So that's what they're trying to do. It's not straightforward or simple or easy. Um, You know, if you think about... So what are some of the projects that like the actual projects that are um, up and running now that... Yeah, one of the ones that I'm really, um, uh, you know, two, well, two that I'll mention that I'm really pleased about. One is the United African Farm. Um, so this was a grassroots community initiative through, um, you know, migrants from the African diaspora, about 10 different African nations uh, who've been migrating to Australia over the last 20 years or so and, and been settled out there in, in Pakenham. Many of them come from agricultural backgrounds, particularly women. Um, as you know, uh, many of your listeners, readers will know, in Africa, 
Um, it is the women that do the, you know, the bulk of, uh, of food growing in many countries. And so, mm. you know, they're coming from that, um, you know, that farming and, and gardening tradition and then coming to Australia, that's a, a, you know, a real gap for them. So they really miss. Um, so we worked with them in 2019 and had a discussion with a local farmer to enter into an experimental land sharing arrangement where uh, she uh, you know, gifted effectively a, a, a couple of acres of her land to allow them to start a uh, you know an African-led uh, cultural market garden, growing some of their awesome. you know, cultural foods. Mm. Um, so that happened during 2019. Then during COVID, it kind of went into hiatus uh, for a period, and then over the last 12 months, <clears throat> we found another. Um, another farmer closer to Pakenham um, who's uh, on an initial kind of like three-year uh, peppercorn lease made available three acres of his land. He's a multi-generational beef farmer close to uh, Officer actually, which is the next township um, closer to the city from Pakenham. Um, and so the United African Farm are now, you know, really uh, hitting their straps and uh, and getting that market gardening uh, market garden up and going as a as a social enterprise. So mm. that's been led by them, uh, you know, with our support, with council support. Um, you know, we've also with grants for them. But the you know the big piece has been access to land and the generosity of that, mm. you know, multi generational beef farmer in um, uh, you know making making his land available. And I should say overcoming, you know, a lot of prejudice and discrimination. And that's some of the, you know, the obstacles that the the African people out there have had to, you know, deal with as well. Um, mm. You know, during the last state government election in Victoria, there was, you know, some really unfortunate media and press about, you know, African gangs and crime waves and, and so on, really, you know, playing into... Um, you know, underlying racist sentiments in in different parts of the city. So they've they've had to overcome that that prejudice mm-hmm. and and the farmer as well in entering into that relationship. So I'm I'm really, you know, really admiring of everybody who's involved in that initiative and something that we really want to um, support and and have been for some years now. Um, and the other one that I think is worth mentioning is a youth led um, food security network called Flourish that uh, we helped establish last year with a, a grant from Vic Health. Um, there's a group of young people, um, you know, passionate about food security issues, which became really prominent during COVID, um, mm. you know, with the all the kind of like, you know, restrictions and shutdown of hospitality and so on. Um, you know, the food banks really experienced a huge surge in demand for, um, you know, for their services. And so we yeah, worked with a group of, you know, five young people from that area, um, partnered them up with um, with some local schools, with four high schools, uh, with teachers and students getting involved and getting more, you know, food growing on school campuses. Mm. Um, and then had a harvest towards the end of last year of, um, I think it was about 50 or 60 crates of uh, fresh produce and made that available to a local food security agency. Um, so that youth network are now, um, you know, charting their own course and continuing those relationships with local schools, and and we're really uh, pleased um, with uh, with what was achieved last year. And and you know, there's there's a couple of schools in particular that are really uh, keen to continue that relationship. They see really strong alignment with the VCAL curriculum, particularly for year nine mm. and ten students working on their own projects. Um, and, you know, we see that as a really positive model and a really, you know, great way for, you know, for young people to 
uh, you know, uh, be able to make a difference and, and educate themselves about some really challenging issues facing community members and, and what they can do as as uh, as youth to, you know, to, to try and make some changes. Mm. So, yeah, so this is on the sort of council level. Now, during the pandemic, I know you guys also did a survey which um, was quite widespread. And so could you tell me a bit about that survey and what you found and also who who you actually surveyed and how what range of sort of locations and people that were surveyed? Sure. Um, so this was the pandemic gardening survey um, that ran for 30 days. So it was just 30 days that was open in from mid-June to mid-July 2020. Uh, the reason we did it was because, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, stories in the press about nurseries running out of seedlings and people mm. being at home and, you know, growing more food. And we're sort of just interested to, you know, see uh, how people were experiencing the lockdown. It's kind of like nothing ever any of us had ever lived through before and yeah. um, how people were kind of, you know, coping with it and what the role of, particularly what the role of, you know, being at home, being in the garden and growing food was for people at that time. So that was a... That was the thinking behind it. Um, so we put it out, you know, this was our own initiative, didn't have any resourcing or support, um, did this off our own bat. Um, it was picked up by a couple of people that really, you know, got it out widely to the community and that's why we got such a strong response. We got over 9,000 responses nationally, mm, 9,140 wow. in total. So. First was uh, Costa, um, Costa Georgiadis, who's actually Sustain's ambassador, um, got a, obviously a, a big following with his work with ABC Gardening Australia and a, a huge champion and supporter of, um, mm. you know, so many organisations um, around Australia in, in this space and um, extremely yeah. passionate about this, this area. So he did a number of live streams for us on his Facebook and really encourage people to uh, to complete the survey, which was fantastic. And then we reached out to the Diggers Club um, as well, and they uh, put it out to their membership. And again, you know, hugely passionate community of, of gardeners with um, with the diggers and, and the heritage seeds. And so, you know, the, a, a large number of diggers members um, also completed it. So hence, you know, the very, very strong response rate of over... 9,000 responses. Um, at the same time, there was a, a global survey done by a group of other researchers from different universities in Australia and internationally. Um, just by way of comparison, I think they did that in about seven or eight countries and, and got about 2,000 or 3,000 responses, mm. which is really great as well. But we were able to, you know, get a get a, um, a very strong, um, you know, uh, sample size. So we're, we're really... Uh, feel quite confident about, you know, these these findings and, and these messages. It's a really strong base of evidence. So the main messages that, um, that came out of that uh, were um, that edible gardening, growing food at home, um, you know, generally and particularly during lockdown was, you know, just, just very highly valued by a large majority of survey respondents, you know, for many reasons. Uh, particularly mental health uh, was a mm. really, really big one. Um, so we said, we asked the question, you know, to what extent have your gardening activities resulted in improved mental health and wellbeing? Um, uh, we had 38%, um, so nearly two-fifths saying greatly, uh, gardening makes me feel much more relaxed, less stressed and anxious and happier. And then another 34% saying significantly 
Um, uh, so yeah, over 70% of, of people saying it made a, a really significant difference to their mental health. And then particularly during lockdown, um, we asked how important was edible gardening during COVID-19. Um, nearly 20% said it was extremely important. I could not have made it through the lockdown without my garden. Mm. Um, and then 62% said very important. Being able to garden during this time has meant a great deal to me. So over 80% of respondents of, you know, 9,000 um, 9, people, uh, you know, just, just highlighted those really important mental health benefits of having access to, to their garden um, and green space. Um, so just a, a comment from um, a gardener on the south coast of New South Wales said, you know, gardening gave me a focus. It provided hope and reinforced my personal resilience. Putting my hands in the soil each day redirected my fear and anxiety about our future. I was able to transfer it to action. So, yes. you know, those words really capture, um, I think, the sentiment that's experienced by so many people who uh, who do who do uh, engage in, in gardening, edible gardening. Um, that was mental health. Um, uh, you know, food security was also really important um, and particularly, you know, what we're experiencing now, what you said earlier, you know, the, the climate situation, the floods we had in southeast Queensland and Lismore earlier this year and, you know, the impact on many vegetable crops in the Lockyer Valley um, mm. and, of course, the, you know, Ukraine-Russia situation and what that is, you know, meaning for global food security and, and food mm. prices um, and, and continuing disruptions to supply chains from COVID. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking and thinking about food security. Um, so, you know, for, for um, what was really, you know, notable was that this was not simply an activity that was done by, you know, um, middle income, higher income people. Yeah, um, okay. a, a significant number of respondents uh, reported uh, households. We did ask a question about um, annual household income yeah. and uh, a, a significant number, um, over 25% reported um, household income of under $50,000 a year, which is kind of like the, the poverty line in Australia. And mm. for those households, we did ask how much food are you actually growing? Like how much of your own food needs as a household are you meeting through growing food in your own garden? Um, and uh, um, we were able to establish that edible gardening was a, a really important source of good food. And as mm. you know, all PIP readers will know, it's the best food you can get that you can grow yourself. Um, it was a really great source of good food for those who need it most. Um, so uh, 40, um, 45% of people saying they were growing more than 30% of their own food for, um, from their own garden had, were coming from those low-income households, which we thought mm. was, uh, you know, really significant. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and that just reinforces if we give people the resources and the skills and capacity um, you know, to grow more of their own food and, and access to land to do it. Um, you know, as anybody who's been doing this for a while and has reached a reasonable level of proficiency knows, you can grow a lot of food in small spaces um, mm. if, you, if you're maximising what you're doing. Um, so it's it's so much better. It's such a better way to deal with the problem of food insecurity than, you know, for, than the main way we deal with it, which is, you know, throwing money at the food banks and then partnering up mm. with supermarkets. And, you know, this really, um, you know, stigmatising and, uh, 
you know, shameful in many ways, uh, you know, response of getting people to line up in queues, um, mm. the handouts of um, past sell-by-date, you know, processed yeah. unhealthy food or, you know, vegetables mm. that are, you know, limp and, you know, um, you know, one step away from being thrown in the bin. Yeah. Um, which is, which is for, you know the food the food bank system. I mean, some of them are doing a lot better than that, and and really trying to um, you know uh, look at their own models. But I I think it's it's so much better if people can be given the resources and support to grow their own food mm. and, and look after themselves to the greatest extent possible. And that for me is an ethical and moral um, you know principle and, and commitment. So that's you know that's like the the big agenda um, here in terms of the you know, the current challenges and, and worries about food security. And that's what I, you know, going back to what I said earlier about, you know, Detroit and places like that, um, uh, you know, when you can, you know, support and empower people to, uh, you know, to look after themselves to the greatest extent possible, you know, just means so much more. People learn skills, they learn capacities, their mental health improves, they meet other people, they feel empowered, um, and they eat well, you know, they, they get access to really fresh, healthy food um, so much mm. better than, than having people, you know, standing queues for food banks in my yeah. view. So with food security, there's obviously the backyard level, the community garden level, the local council level. The... Could you paint a picture of how if you were in charge <laughs> and you had you know, you could make anything possible. How how could we do it so it works? I mean, because, you know, some people have the argument like, yeah, community garden's nice, but are you going to be able to feed a city of people from, you know, backyards and community gardens? What's the sort of big picture plan or the big picture strategy that you could see working in this time? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question, Robin. And and I think maybe a good way to think about it is perhaps you know from um, permaculture design principles and thinking about different zones um, in in the way you know you kind of alluded to there, kind of like rippling out from what's closest to us to you know what's slightly further away. But thinking about it um, in terms of what we can grow ourselves and, and backyards, front yards, verges, um, then going out to community level to community gardens or, you know, urban farms, um, then to, you know, peri-urban, uh, you know, larger scale, more commercial kind of market gardens and orchards. Um, and then, you know, the, the looking at, you know, the, the transition to regenerative agriculture in um, regional kind of rural areas with, uh, with grains. Um, you know, it's a whole of system a whole of system transformation, um, but I think you know we know it, we know what to do. We know it can be done. Um, it's you know I, I do think it's true that we're not going to meet all our food needs through uh, everybody growing their own food, and not everybody has time to do that uh, either. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be a need for you know for market gardeners and peri-urban farms, and you know as long as we're you know having diets around you know grains and. And uh, you know, and, and and animals. If that's part going to be part of our uh, diets going forward, uh, we will need those. You know, those those other farms. But I think it's all. You know, it's all achievable if we make the decisions as a society, as a community, and ultimately at the you know at the political level, um, at, at government level, that our priorities are 
feeding ourselves well. And that for me is what the food system is about and what food security should be about. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the whole purpose of, of food and agriculture and, and food systems is to feed ourselves as humans well and to take care of, uh, of all of life in the same and at the same time, you know, through soils and water and, you know, all the plants and, and animals and, you know, from microbial life to insects to, you know, to birds and and, and animals, that that's what we should be doing. You know, we're, we're part of nature. We're not separate from it. We need to be uh, caring for ourselves and caring for life. And if we make that the priority, then I think, you know, we know how to do it. You know, we've got so much skill and capacity and experience and talent, you know, from, you know, from people growing their own food at home through all kinds of different methods to, you know, to regenerative farmers doing this at large scale, people like, mm. you know, Diane Ian Haggerty in the wheat belt of Western Australia managing tens of thousands of hectares, but doing it, you know, in, in totally sustainable and regenerative ways, uh, mm. working in harmony with nature in a form of agriculture they called nat natural intelligence, um, you know, wanting to rehabilitate a very degraded landscape there in the wheat belt of Western Australia, um, you know, uh, re reforestering, um, you know, that that area, trying to bring back rain um, and doing it at, at, a, at a major scale. Um, mm. That, that these these things are possible, and of course, you know, uh, drawing on you know the wisdom of the First Nations cultures here, yeah. who lived and managed Australia um, for what 90,000 years or more. Um, mm. um, you know, we can inhabit this continent and and do it sustainably, but. We're not going to do it if we have a food system that is really just about extracting and pushing the land and pushing people with very short-term goals of um, just making money, you know, in a, in a very yeah. short-term time horizon and just all directed to, you know, profit maximisation, um, you know, just, as I say, like flogging ourselves, flogging our farmers, our, our workers and, and oh, the land. Um uh, you know, and and who cares about what happens in thirty or forty years? You know, if, if we if that's mm. the mindset that we've had um, for a long, you know, for for a hundred years or so, and particularly the last thirty or forty years, um, if we keep going down down that path, then we're in a terrible situation. And you know, the the environment is screaming at us to change. I mean, you know, you mentioned the bushfires. We had the terrible. Terrible fish kills on the, you know, the 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 Barker, the the Murray Darling River system in Manindi mm. Lakes. Um, you know, the die-offs there in in 2019. Um, uh, you know, we're getting signals very strongly uh, mm. from the land and and from nature that we really have to change course. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it's all it's all very doable um, if we. You know, if we focus and, and make this our priority. Um, so how? Yeah, that's, that's, what are the? That's, how are we going to do it? <laughs> well, that's well, that's where you know. It, it, I, I do think we have to. You know, we can't just ignore politics, and I, yeah. I know you yeah. know a lot of us do, and yeah. we're sick of it and over it, and I totally yeah. get that, and I am too. But it's but kind this of is like, the time, and I mean, this was why I had this conversation, and I usually don't comment too much in politics, but. Like we're at a time now, we've got an election. You've come up with some ideas and some points that would really help make all of this happen. And basically we need that support from the government level. So what, yeah, what are those yeah. ideas and what can we do in the yeah, upcoming I mean, months, yeah, weeks and months? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Because look, I mean, it's it's kind of that old saying that you know, if if um, if you don't if you ignore the you know politics or the government, you know, that's that's fine. But at a certain point, you know, we're all going to be impacted by it. You know, if you don't you don't do this, then it will it will be done to you, kind of thing. So. Mm. Um, uh, so in terms of like, yeah, our, our change agenda, our reform agenda, we're looking for politicians. We're not, this is not a party political um, issue. This is looking for people of good conscience, you know, from across the political spectrum. Um, but there is an opportunity in this election, I think, particularly with uh, with independence and particularly the fact that people are, are pretty disillusioned with the, you know, the two major parties in particular, uh, just because, you know, they they seem not to be prioritising, you know, the interests of the majority of Australians um, to really, you know, try and get some some leverage. So we're we're saying we're we're calling on, uh, you know, on on the next the next government and the next set of politicians in Canberra to prioritise these issues to make. Um, you know, a, a real priority for the next government, the transition to regenerative and sustainable food systems and agricultural systems to really get to grips with the issue of food security, to uh, to strengthen, um, you know, to strengthen food security at the local level. And concretely, uh, we've mapped that out uh, through an agenda for, you know, for edible gardening and, and urban agriculture uh, with financing, uh, with creating an infrastructure, a pool of infrastructure, mobile infrastructure, um, with uh, with changes to uh, to planning laws to get access to land, uh, with investment in training and skills and capacity building to really skill up, um, you know, the new and emerging generation of edible gardeners and urban farmers, um, uh, to build capacity at local government level. The sorts of things I was talking about with Cardinia Shire to make that the mm. norm across local government and to support local governments to uh, to go down that path um, and to yeah to to make this a kind of like a you know a joyful process and mm. have a whole of community engagement because it's it's such a good and positive thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, we've we've set out, you know, our our election scorecard with the sorts of things that we're uh, looking um, to do. We've set that out in the pandemic gardening survey report, and you know, it's these are very concrete, um, you know, practical steps that uh, you know the the federal government, the next federal government uh, can take, and also state governments and and local governments. So. Yeah, I would I would encourage all all pip readers to uh, to look at that, to think about it, to you know to engage with their candidates in their in their constituencies where they are, um, to ask these questions and to make their decisions. Um, you know, if this is a real priority for you, and I, I hope it is, um, you know, to make your choices and decisions on the basis of that, but also to get involved. And I'm sure many already are, but you know, not waiting. You know, for action from governments, but to you yeah. know be the change that we want to see, to get involved in local networks, um, and to do what we've done as an organisation, which is to start, um, you know, engaging with councils, particularly because you know we that that, that is really a you know a, 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 a growing um, area of momentum, um, but to take it up to the state level. I mean, I think I think the federal government is going to be a harder nut to crack um, in a in a major way, but I think we can. You know, we can build momentum from the grassroots up. I mean, there's there's a huge groundswell has been for a long time at the community level. We're starting to see it filter up now to local government. I'm starting to see it move also into state government, at least in in Victoria and even in New South Wales. You know, they're having an inquiry now 
um, into food production and supply for New South Wales and looking at um, you know long-term sustainability and strengthening their food system in, in New South Wales. So, you know, there are politicians at, 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 in both these states that are listening, mm. that are thinking about this, and I think we need to, you know, we need to send these messages. Um, you know, if, if all politicians here is lobbying, um, you know, from from the big end of town and big interests, mm. then that's what they're going to yeah. respond to. We, we need to be using our voices getting and saying, active. look, you know, yeah, we need, we need to get engaged and get active, and now is the time to do it. Mm. So... Have you you've got a scorecard and like if people want to go to their local uh, go go to and start asking those questions, have you got a bit of a guide there of what people might want to ask and how to kind of do that? Yeah, yeah. So we've um, we sent a letter and we've published this and happy to um, share these links with you. We we uh, we published the letter that I wrote to you know the prime minister and all the relevant ministers in the coalition to the you know the shadow ministry and Anthony Albanese to Adam Bant and and people in the Greens um, asking questions and people are more than welcome to take the letter that I wrote back in November last year or adapt it as they want. Um, asking questions on, you know, the, all these key issues and what mm. are the policies and commitments of um, of the of their parties on these matters. We got reports, uh, we got responses rather from Greg Hunt um, for the coalition and also from the Greens representative for uh, Senator Rice. Um, so you can see what the Greens and the coalition had to say. Unfortunately, okay. Labor uh, didn't give us a response, so we can't tell you what they said. Mm. Um, but our scorecard is based on our analysis of the, the platforms of those three main parties. Um, but that's a resource that people can use. Um, well, we also, can share that on our page with this yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I just want to mention also that the Right to Food Coalition, which is kind of like an allied national network, um, have also released a um, you know, uh, uh, their own kind of fact sheet and uh, election resource, particularly on the issue of, of food security and the human right to food. Um, so we've, um, you know, in our latest e-news, we've uh, linked to that and that's another link that I can, um, uh, you know, make available to you. Mm. Great. Well, now is the time to make some, put the pressure on governments and to try and get that change happening on the federal level and then yeah locally search out what's happening community gardens or yeah and the thing is there are a lot of great initiatives that could happen and it does take people to go actually I can make a difference and not sort of sit back and feel helpless but to actually look around and see that there are some really awesome projects and I'm up in Alice Springs at the moment and I've been checking out the community gardens up here and market, you know, and went and met with a market gardener yesterday. And I mean, if things can happen here, like it's such a harsh climate up here, it's so hot yeah. and um, and then so cold at night in the winter. And, you know, it's amazing what they're doing. And I mean, here it's there's such a distance anywhere to get anything that it's really important. And I just think, yeah, it's about kind of believing in yourself a bit and, saying, yeah, I can make a difference and do something. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we all can. And, you know, we, we, we get these messages that, oh, you know, what can I do? I'm just an individual. Like I'm, you know, small. I can't influence this big system. But 
Yeah, I think there's so much that all of us can do, and and even more so if we start joining together um, and building yeah. these networks and 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 you know raising our voices collectively. There's um, we are really powerful. I think you know. Yeah. Um, we're, t- we're told that we're not, but I I think we are, and mm. I believe we are. Um, and you know, change. Um, you know, the life is about change. You know, change is happening all around us all the time. Um, uh, and I think you know now's the time for us to really get engaged and consciously uh, start making that changes ourselves and and for the benefit of our our communities. We really need it. It's really critical. Mm. Yeah, and I also think it'd be great if there were more amazing people um, stepping up into politics. Like there are some awesome people doing it, but I think. You know, I've I've just met someone up here who's um, yeah doing great things, and I think for those people who are that way inclined, it'd be great to see them stepping up. And you know, for me, that wouldn't work for me, and I know it wouldn't work for a lot of people. But you know, stepping up and and locally where I live too, there's been some people just going, "Yep, I'm going to give it a go." I don't Absolutely. necessarily know a whole lot, but I'm gonna, you know, even if it's stepping up to be part of the local council, and then from there, moving on. So I think we're all, we can all do anything if we put our minds to it and believe in ourselves and support one another. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Nick. Thanks for your time and sharing all your knowledge and all of the awesome work that you guys are doing, and just quietly behind the scenes making a lot of change. So, thanks for sharing that with us today. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, really great to chat to you. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the PIP podcast. You can also subscribe to our magazine, explore articles on growing, fermenting, composting, foraging, and much more, as well as watch our videos and listen to our podcast episodes, all on our website, pipmagazine.com.au, or follow us on socials.